Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today, Jason Rosenthal, is an incredibly brave writer and, and a brave person and has, I'm sure, didn't set out to become a brave person or a person who is looked to for strength by people going through very difficult times. Jason wrote a book that just came out that I read in one night called uh, My Wife Said You May Want to Marry Me. Jason and I have our own history as well. Uh, the book, My Wife Said You May Want to Marry Me, is about how he coped uh, following the death of his wife, Amy Krauss Rosenthal. Uh, Amy famously wrote on March 3rd, 2017, a uh, modern love column that went more than viral that, uh, about uh, how she was dying and about how her husband uh, was prime Marian material for somebody else. When that piece went viral, it thrust Jason in what I what I have come to know was the the darkest period of his life um, into the public eye. And um, this book takes us from um, really the two of them falling in love through Amy's death and the way Jason and his family processed it. I will tell you that during this time reading this book during COVID. If I didn't know Jason and if I hadn't known Amy, reading this book during COVID would have been useful for me uh, because uh, it puts in, in a kind of perspective that no matter what we're going through, someone can be going through something worse and also puts in perspective that you can go through the very worst things and scrape and claw and find your way out to the other side. Jason, thanks for writing it and thanks for being here. Brian, thanks for having me. You know... Reading the book during this period of time, I'm, there's no way, right, when you set out to write it, Jason, you could have known that your book would come out during a period of time when all of us were in a state of upheaval, right? Oh, absolutely. No, I was looking forward to celebrating it and going out on the road and meeting people and sharing stories and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. And, and um, but I did find, and I will say this for anyone listening to this, you know, the instinct is that you don't want to read a book about a real life tragedy during this time because we all feel like we're going through something. But I had a different experience. I read the book in a night and I would have had I not, even if I'd, I didn't know Jason and Amy, if I'd started the book, I would have finished it uh, immediately because there's something about understanding what you went through, man, that that casts a light on a few different things that we're all dealing with. One of which is, so for, for clearly it puts in perspective like, hey, it, things could be worse for most of us. But, but also, because so much of the book is about your personal recovery, not like it's an easy recovery, but like about your making a decision to live it and to thrive, it, it short of even though you also really describe how dark the dark days were, it does show us that that there will be a light at the end of the tunnel if we're strong enough to find our, our way there. And have you found people reacting to it in that way? I have, yeah. Um, you know, it's really true. It, it, <laughs> I've been to the depths, really, the, the, the deep depths of, of grief. And what happens... To what happened to me and probably happens to, to people that go through this experience is that there's, there's two things that can happen. You could dive deeper into that darkness, right? Or, or you could somehow find some light in some, uh, an overused word maybe, but resilience that you have no idea is hiding inside you uh, until an event like this happens. And for me, somehow, some way, Brian, I was able to uh, find that resilience and and get through all of this. It took a while and it does take a while. You know, grief is one of those things that certainly has no timetable, but yeah, I think we, we are all experiencing loss and grief during this really difficult time right now too. Yeah, no, it, it's true. And, and I mean, you, you describe so well the stages you go through sort of the different moments when grief in the first year, year and a half, um, following Amy's death, when, how the grief would rear its head at various times, how other, how other deaths 
and, and, and you having to respond to those other deaths brought you back to that, how being with a group of your friends and watching what they did or didn't want to say, or finally mm-hmm. going to a concert with your friend, how you, you, did you, did you journal during all of that? There's just a practical question I want to ask you how, because your memory is so keen and you describe these various events so keenly. And I know you're a lawyer and you've trained your mind to keep details in a certain way, but how did you, how did you actually consciously amass the material in such a specific way? Yeah. So I, I did not journal, um, Specifically, though, as I began to go through therapy, I was sort of advised that, you know, put down some thoughts, whether they're dark and scary or whether they're happy moments. And I started to do that a little bit, just, you know, in a Google Doc. But the way I treated writing this book, honestly, was was more like a nonfiction piece. You know, I, I dug deep into my own life. And what I mean by that is I am sort of, I guess... <laughs> what I've come to realize kind of a hoarder, you know, I have all of these things that I put away in our crawl space in these bins. And I, I began to take them out, everything from, you know, the silly little uh, art pieces your kids make in junior kindergarten to, you know, anniversary cards that Amy and I wrote to each other, birthday things and, you know, stuff like that. So um, I really began to piece my own memory back together by approaching the writing that way. Right. That, that makes sense. And then would you talk, and then you talk to your kids or to your friends and, uh, or to family members and, and had them sort of help you as well. I, I imagine. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, you know, I, um, I sort of took this as a really like insular, uh, endeavor, you know, I kept it inside a lot of it, but, um, as you know, from reading the book, I, I talked to my son miles about it, who makes a cameo and we can talk about that if you want, but, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I love that you guys living together and, and what that experience was like living together again was just great. Like a couple of bachelors. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was a very difficult time, of course, but we got to know each other in such a different way. Uh, yeah. So that, that was a terrific in there, but let, let's start. I mean, one of the, one of my favorite parts of the, of the book, and I've told you this before, and I, it was something I was aware of before is, you know, I often think that the marriage my Amy and, and I have and your marriage to Amy had certain similarities in the, the openness with each other and in the fact that you just had, you guys were never bored around each other and just had a great time with each other, like genuinely. But there were certain ways in which, you know, obviously I'm sure everybody asks you about the list you guys made. And I'm <laughs> curious if if that list was something you'd shared with your kids. So describe what the list is, Jason, and then we'll back up. But describe what that list is. Yeah, I got my first taste of living with a writer when uh, on our honeymoon, uh, we we wrote out a list. It was called Amy and Jason Rosenthal's Marriage Goals and Ideas. And, you know, it, I didn't really give it that much consideration after a while. It was one of those things that was, like I just talked about, tucked away. But as I pulled it out to think about writing this book, and of course, I had a great editor who helped me sort of weave the story together. It became it became a real thread throughout this book. You know, it's something that I think more subconsciously than consciously we we really followed in our life together. Had you shown that to your kids ever before? No, no. So you mean when they were growing up, they didn't know mom and dad had made a uh, mom and dad had made a plan. Exactly. How this is all going to work. No. That's so funny. Yeah. It's a great thing. And it's great that you could look back and see that you guys had lived up to so many parts of it. I mean, there are certain parts of it. And it's also great that there are certain parts of it where you were like, well, that clearly was two people who didn't understand what would happen when you had kids. (laughs) Uh, So there are parts of this like life stuff that just wasn't going to, you know, wasn't going to be able to be be the case. But I do love the fact and I want to I want to. All right. Let me let me let me back up and start here because. I have a very honest relationship with my podcast audience. And so I can't have this conversation without saying that time to time on the podcast, I've referenced that in uh, that my sophomore year of college was a really difficult year because I'd had a bad breakup my freshman year of college, Uh, a breakup that for me was emotionally hard. And that breakup was with Amy Krauss Rosenthal. (laughs) So I, I do have to say that Amy was the first girl that I ever had a real, I had had girlfriends in high school, but my freshman year of college, Amy was a year older. 
And my whole first semester of college is truly, my freshman year really, is truly defined by my relationship with Amy, which was an incredible growth thing for me because it was the first time I'd ever had like um, a girlfriend who was more than a casual, hey, we're in high school, we'll go out on dates, but somebody I had like long conversations with all, you know what I mean? Like, as I'm sure, and I know you know this because Amy introduced the two of us when I was on a trip in Chicago and I was like 22, she wanted us all to have dinner together. And Amy and I had remained not close friends, but like casual friends and really checked in on each other for, you know, uh, the the last communication we had was a month before um, she died. And so reading this book and, and hearing about this, it wasn't a um, it wasn't a casual experience to me because I know Amy Krauss Rosenthal to be one of the most remarkable human beings I ever met in my life. And. I felt that way as um, a 19-year-old, an 18-year-old, and I feel that way now. And so when you're describing in the book the the two of you together in your far deep, I mean, our, my relationship with her was a four-month thing and nothing <laughs> doesn't even, it's not even in the universe of what you guys had. It doesn't, but, but, but I recognize the person you're describing in a way that was wonderful, which tells me what a good writer you are because you were able to draw her um, in that way. And, and, but it also gave me an understanding of what you lost in a way, because I, having known Amy and then knowing what it must've been for you to be in that relationship with her, it's anybody married to anybody loves their wife, but you were married to a truly remarkable human, human being and as you describe it, you kind of figured it out. I mean, she knew she was going to marry you from day one, but you figured it out pretty early, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, I was a lot younger than I ever thought I, I would be when I got married, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, first of all, I really appreciate you saying that about my writing. But also what you're saying about Amy is really interesting because I, I, I recognize that you were together for whatever it was, a brief period of time. But it was so impactful. And, you know, I got to tell you, I continue to hear stories about Amy that are like that, not, you know, intimate relationships, of course, but she had this ability, like you're saying, to have an impact on people that was so profound, whether it was literally an afternoon conversation, talking to them about something going on in their personal life or with their children or sending someone a, a, a thoughtful gift, usually, you know, handmade and creative, she just had that ability to affect people like that. And as I say, I continue to hear stories after she died of things that she did that I had no idea ever took place. Well, like the last time, yeah, no, of course. And, and, and it was an openness that she had to experience life that you described so well. And, I'm, and she must have brought that out in you even more than it was there as you talk about. But she, uh, the way in which she would sort of face life, uh, life head on, in a way, made her uniquely suited to deal with having to face the end of life as well, right? Interesting. Yeah, that's true. And also, it's kind of, as I look back on it, you know, she was slightly, I'm not saying totally, but slightly obsessed with death. You know, I mean, if you if you look at some of the things she wrote about, um, she often talked about death. There, there's two things I'm thinking about. One was in her memoir, which was a wonderful read for anyone. It's called Encyclopedia of an Ordinary Life. And it's yes. sort of, it's this, uh, you know, memoir in encyclopedia fashion where there are entries, you know, based on the alphabet. And one of them is about dying and it's really profound. I would read it, but it's a little long. And then, you know, she wrote about death in her, her memoir 10 years later uh, called Textbook Amy Krauss Rosenthal that she completed before she was diagnosed and there's some really profound statements about death in that book as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and it's funny because my Amy, anyone who's heard my podcast for a long time knows that my Amy Koppelman writes about uh, writes about death too all the time in her books and her movies. And we had this long podcast conversation about how an awareness of death uh, makes you hold on to 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 what you have. But you know. Uh, Jason, Amy wrote me on July 19th, 2016 to ask if she could come on this podcast. And 
I found it this morning and, and it was because of the, the, the book. And, uh, but then this is, I just want to read you something which is so, uh, expressed. So we hadn't probably spoken in a couple of years. Uh, and then she wrote me, she had a new book coming out and, um, would be time to maybe do the moment together. And I said, yeah, of course. And then she wrote me, great, I'll send. Uh, it's called Textbook Amy Cross Rosenthal. The title makes sense when you see the book. And in keeping with the nature of this portal, direct messages, I'm going to let you know personally, directly, I just had to cancel my book tour because of cancer. I am sad. I am also still the Amy you recall. All the very best. Is Which is, I think, such a perfect, that was on the 22nd of... Uh, 2016, which was right after the diagnosis, right? Uh, what, what, what month are you talking about? July 22nd, 2016. No, it was a little, it was later. She was, she was ill by then, but yeah. Because yeah. she'd written on the 19th thinking she could come. Oh yeah, that was when it, re and then the 22nd. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a little bit of remission there for a while, but yeah. She, you know, right. it's interesting. Uh, she, she worked like a dog during the, trying to complete that book and the editing process and you know, the cover design and all of those things. She was literally, Brian, working 16-hour days while she was getting chemotherapy treatment. She was an unbelievable human being, yeah. No, that is uh, that is remarkable. H how did you... How did you keep positive during this experience for her. A lot of us battle with this question of being authentic around people, right? So Amy was dying. You knew she was dying. She knew she was dying. But, but how, and so on your own time, of course, you would allow yourself to get the feelings of, have the feelings of grief. You, an incredible section in your book. And I, I everybody, I will say, I never read more clearly somebody state what they need from their friends during this. Jason, that was an amazing thing you put in the book and I think incredibly helpful to people. Um, you go to pains to explain how exactly the kind of thing somebody suffering in this situation needs and you get explain exactly what they don't need. And, and, uh, I, that was wonderful. Have you gotten good reaction from, have people pointed that out to you or spoken of that section? Yeah, sure. Yes. Thanks for saying that. But yeah, um, I just know from now personal experience, of course, that people are just unable to articulate words, man. <laughs> they don't know what to say. They don't know how to react, you know? And um, I thought it would be you know, this is not like a field guide. This isn't a how-to book, but it was really important to me to include some of those messages in the book because it's a very big part of the story. And yeah, that it, part's a real field. That part is a field guide, though. I think. I mean, because yeah. you're you're all of us have been in that awkward situation of wanting to reach out and not knowing how to reach out and not knowing what somebody needs. And your whole section about how to explain, you know, you, that one thing you say where you're like, hey, I'm going to be at this place at this time. I'm going to have a beer regardless. If you feel like joining me, that's great. If you don't, no problem. Those kind of things uh, were awesome and what people could do and how they could manage. And I think that's almost like a pamphlet you should excer excerpt on your website because I, I think it's, it's something people would send around to other people. It's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, it comes from that, that kind of experience where, you know, more than one person said to me, Hey man, you know, Hey, you know, let's go get a beer. <laughs> really? <laughs> you, you're, you're asking me, I, I'm, I'm grieving for the loss of my wife to call you and go out. Yeah. You, know? yeah, you said, let me know when you go. You said people are like, let me know when you want to go out. And you're like, so, so what you said is no, say, Hey, I'm going to be here. I'm going to have a beer at three o'clock after on this day. If, if you, it's cool and you want to come, I would love you to come. If you don't, I'm fine. Like, and, and there were many other little things like that, that, that I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to, I'm going to dog ear this page and come back to it. Should I need to be there for a friend in this way? I thought that was, I thought that was awesome. Thank you. I'll just tell you one Amy story that you probably don't know. So as I said, the, the thing is, both Amy, Amy, Amy Krauss 
uh, Rosenthal and I, each of us got married young. You know, I got married at 25. How old were you guys? I was 26. Yeah. And so Amy was how old? 26 also? Yeah. March, she was 25. Yeah. Right. So we both got married early, which meant we both didn't have a lot of boyfriends and girlfriends because we got married at a young age, which is why there's uh, like, which is why I guess we, uh, there was always some sort of connection because there, there wasn't like I had 2000 girlfriends. You know what I mean? I met my Amy very shortly uh, during hot, like the next year, a year later, basically my junior year. So th mm. then it was on and off, but then we were together. So, and then like, it was great because when Amy Krauss came back to college, we became real buds her senior year, my junior year, because I didn't go away. She went away her junior year. We became real friends again. And yeah. it was a great thing. Um, but, uh, the last time I saw Amy, she came to New York when I was editing a movie and let me know she was in town and she came and visited me in my editing room. And this is the kind of, and like we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And she came to the editing room because she, I guess she was in town to meet with a publisher or something. And we spent like an hour and a half together just catching up. Yeah. And I told her about my daughter being dyslexic and she I said to my daughter, I was dyslexic and Amy had been writing children's books, you know? And I said, this one children's book is, she said, how'd you figure out your daughter was dyslexic? And I explained it happened because my daughter was watching Arthur and she recognized something in an Arthur essay. And, and Amy said, you know, uh, if she would want to write a letter to the person who, what is her name? Mark Brown, I guess. She, she, you know, I know him and I'll hook it up. And I was like, you, and I'm telling you, we hadn't seen each other in, five or six years, Jason, probably Amy and I. And, 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 uh, I was like, really? And you know, that guy who wrote Arthur was super famous and in demand and all that shit. And yeah. she's like, yeah, here, I'll get you the info. And you know, Amy got the info for me, told me exactly how to reach him. I gave it to Anna. Anna wrote him. He wrote her back. It was like a super defining thing in Anna's middle school that he wrote a letter to her, encouraging her, telling her how good he felt that she figured out she was dyslexic. And that kind of beautiful gesture, I think Amy Krauss Rosenthal just went around making all the time. Like there was no reason she had to do that. As I say, it's not like she and I were talking all the time. I hadn't seen her in a long time. We spent an hour and a half together and she was like, well, how can I make your life better? And she just mm -hmm. did a small thing to make my life better for my daughter. It's beautiful. And that's, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And it really... I think formed a lot of the work that she did, uh, not just writing her, her children's books, which she was prolific at, but, you know, she did a lot of projects, just throwing them out into the universe. And, and, you know, many of them were films that gathered community together. Um, and that's what she did for people. She was really good at it. Naturally. I think it's just this one word, which is kindness. You know, she was a really kind person. Um, and she, yes. yeah, and she was able to do things for people that had so much impact. Um, and for her, it was no big deal. That's how she lived. That's just how she went through life. And That's how did that affect, how did that, how did being with someone like that, um, when you were together affect the way you went through the world? It's a great question. You know, I was pretty focused with my head down. I was working six days a week, uh, as a, as a lawyer and in the real estate business for a lot of years, you know, but what it did for me is it exposed me to a lot of, a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have known about. First of all, um, she always, in addition, encouraged me to dip into that creative aspect of myself that I knew was hiding in there. And I talk a little bit about that in the book as well. Uh, yeah, you know, from sure. painting and encouraging me to, to, to be the chef that I became and things like that. Um, it was, it was a window into, uh, a mind and a world that I otherwise would not be exposed to. You know, she could look at words and see things in them that you and I would be like, what, how did you see that? You know? Um, yeah, I remember when, when, when she was doing the buttons and you mentioned this briefly in the book, but it was a great insight I got. This was also, you know, you're, I think you guys were probably, when you were in San Francisco together or no? No, no. She was in San Fran and came back and that's when I met her. Right. So but when she told me the story of, uh, you know, when she was collecting buttons and then she said, if you just go outside and you look right now, if I asked you how many buttons will you see between your apartment 
and where you go to work, you know, your office, I, I, I was like, none, no buttons. What do you mean buttons? Like half the fuck are you talking about buttons? Right. And, and Amy said, now watch what happens. Go look for buttons just today on your walk to work, New York city, go look at buttons and you're going to see 50 buttons before you get that are just whole buttons that have fallen off people's thing. And you know, it's true. I know, you know, this from like a lifetime with her. It's true. <laughs> like you will see you're what right. you're looking for. Yeah. And if you look for like magic, you'll see the magic. Right. Because, and, and you describe yeah, things she, like she that. Yeah, exactly. She had an expression that uh, she liked to say, which is called pay attention to what you pay attention to. And so that's yes. really, that summarizes with that story you just told, I think really well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing to me. I remember just walking around being like, that's just fucking incredible. Like how clueless we are. I mean, it's a great lesson, right. To how clueless we are of like wonders, uh, that are, are everywhere. Did you know, so I'll say one thing that I'm blessed with, man. And I've, I've known this is, you know, I really met the right person for me, uh, as, uh, when I was young enough that it like really, uh, it hit me. It landed for me. I understood it. I, I, I was, we were talking about our, to our kids about this the other night. It was like a, a combination of luck and, and, and being ready for it. And, and I do think like actually having a couple of other relationships that weren't exactly right, but were great. Then when I met my wife, it was like, okay. And that's why we've been in this marriage for almost 30 years. We have a real keen awareness of it though, of like how, how fortunate we are to have, sort of found each other at the time we did and then like how we've allowed each other to grow in these certain ways. Like, were you fully, it's clear the falling in love period, you were totally aware of it, but it also seems like you and your family, like you guys, the way that the four of us here are it. And I would feel this whenever I would actually communicate with Amy, it, it, it feels like you guys were aware of it. And I'm wondering what you did to stoke it. Like, what did you guys do to keep it being this special well, I think you talk right. about this some in the book, but I think it's good for people to hear it. Yeah. I mean, I, I was really young, like we talked about, and you're right. There's a, let's, let's give luck. It's, it's due. I mean, there's no question. We were both really lucky. Um, and I, I don't think I was necessarily prepared for starting a life with someone at that age, but you know, I mean, I think it sounds like you as well, that we, we gave each other this incredible space, if you will, to become the people that we became. We became better yes. because of one another. You know, when Amy would stand on the other side of the room and and make this film for what seemed like three straight days playing the same <laughs> frame of music, you know, these same five notes over and over again, and my head was ringing. It was like, okay, that's what Amy needs to do right now, you know? And if I needed to go out with the guys and, and have a couple tequilas and, and, and go see some live music, you know, it, it, something that she wasn't really keen on, she gave me that space. You know, and those are just two small examples. But. Did you guys, and because and, and, something people sometimes don't know with an idyllic kind of a, a marriage, which obviously you had, this isn't in, in reverse. Did you ever fight? I'm going to tell you the honest to God's truth, man. We didn't really fight that much. You know, there were certainly things that were that caused friction once in a while, but we weren't we weren't yellers. We weren't fighters. We were able to talk things out. And no, <laughs> you know, people are sort of amazed by that. But no, that's a great thing. I, I, Amy, I know we, we were talking about this the other night. Amy and I, our kids were saying this. The other, like we've had four fights basically in 20, like four times where we really saw something differently in like 29 years or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. When my I, oldest I, son... Uh, Gave his eulogy at Amy's service. He, that's what he, I remember it really clearly. He said, believe it or not, I, I never remember my parents raising their voices at one another. You know, so that's that's a true testament to. to so, how. OK, so then let's let's talk about. So that's the marriage you have. This is important. Like, so you have a marriage, no, not only no fights, but this incredible closeness, this incredible generosity to one another. Yeah. Um, you know, you're this great chef who cooks, you're a successful person. So you guys don't worry about money. You're, you know what I mean? You have a lot. I mean, I know in the book, you talk about times when you were stressed, but, but generally you guys weren't worrying about money. Really. You were, uh, you got along well. Amy had a thriving creative life. 
you have these kids who you get along with very well who are thing and then you get this you get this news and the news is that amy has a uh and i want to give you a minute to talk about how women should get checked out quickly when they have certain kinds of pains because you mentioned that in the book and i think it's a useful public service thing but so let's make sure to do that before we end but i'd love you to talk about you know how you took this news and how when you started putting together the pieces so that you would be able to survive this, even as you knew what was happening with Amy. Yeah. Um, you know, this was a, a shock that came completely out of left field, of course. And, uh, Amy was one of the strongest physical people. I, I know, you know, she literally, uh, rarely ever complained even about a headache. So when she, had this uh, pain in her stomach, we, we immediately got it checked out and uh, life permanently changed. You know, the, the ominous uh, act of trying to tell your children who, you know, like you're, like you're saying, the five of us were such a, and six of us with my dog, but anyway, the five, the five of us were just this incredibly close-knit group. Um, and, you know, the overwhelming nature of trying to figure out a way to tell tell the kids was uh certainly daunting and um you know my daughter had just started college and as you know from reading the book and knowing us a little bit this was the moment in our lives where yes. we were just about to enter that next phase of being empty nesters and really appreciating the two of us who came first, we always said, you know, listen, guys, we came first, you know, and that was really something we lived by, um, making time for each other. And we were so looking forward to that next chapter. Um, I think I lost the, the first part of the question, but, um, well, it was just, how did you, when you, when you got that news, how did you talk to yourself about how you were going to manage the situation. Cause you talk in the book about this. Yeah. I just want to like for yeah. people listening, how, right. Most of, I mean, I, I feel like I would collapse, dude. So how did you like, how did you marshal your resources to take care of everybody and find a way to kind of keep taking care of yourself? Well, Brian, that's a great question. I was, I mean, I was laser focused, you know, at the, at the beginning, um, Maybe it was a little bit of ignorance, but uh, we were optimistic. You know, I know that the statistical odds were very, very low, um, but we were focused on on getting Amy better. You know, and 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 beating this thing. And so that's that's what we did at first: is to really use those list making skills and you know our community and really trying to get her the best healthcare possible. And then somehow, some way, man, I just put my head down, and I knew. I knew that my mission in life at that time was to take care of Amy, to make her comfortable. Loving her wasn't a question. I had that in spades. Of course. Yeah. And, 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 and as a matter of fact, you know, watching someone go through that, your love only grows. Um, but somehow I, I committed myself to, to, to doing this. And then, you know, when we found out that there were no, other options, it, it even got stronger. I just wanted her to be surrounded by love, be surrounded by beauty, be surrounded by music, be surrounded by friends and family, those things that she lived for. And you, you talk about the fact that you have difficulty sleeping in the best of times. So yeah. how did you manage that? Oh, it was a nightmare. No, it's not, there's, there's no real way to manage it. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I got some, some, Sleeping pills and things like that, but even those weren't, weren't so helpful. Um, I, I was a physical mess, to be honest with you, at the end of all of this. There's no question about it without even really being conscious of that. You know, I looked at myself and I lost a lot of weight and I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm very physically active normally and uh, take care of myself and eat well and all that stuff. And I just, yeah, I, I was shocked and surprised to even look at myself after all this was over. And, and, and that's part and, of my journey forward in the book too, is to talk a little bit about getting some of myself back. Well, yeah, which I want to talk about how, now, uh, how, uh, when, when, so Amy's about 10 days out from, you know, you've got, you're taking care of her at home 
you're giving her all this love and attention. You're, you know, she's not eating and she's actually living longer than anybody thought. She's trying to write this piece. Yeah. Now, in the book, it's unclear to me whether you knew exactly what it was that she was writing. It doesn't seem like you exactly knew what she was writing. Right. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting where I am now in quarantine, making uh, my dining room table my desk, which I had basically, I basically stopped going to the office when she was diagnosed. Right. And so I was posted up here at the dining room table, watching Amy from uh, across the room, trying, you know, physically to get through the act of finishing this one final piece. And that's all I knew. Because she's on morphine and stuff, oh, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Dipping in and out of, of, of rest. Um, and, you know, obviously in, in tremendous discomfort, but uh, the morphine helped. And still she wrote that piece, man. It's unbelievable because it's... And you didn't know what she was writing I exactly? Did not, I did not know the details of what she was writing. Did, did Paris, was she, were any, yeah. either, were, were the kids helping her or no. was she... No. Yeah. Right. And, and did you, how did, how did it get sent off to modern love? Like what was the process by which she then got that thing yeah. sent off and submitted? Yeah. Well, I mean, she showed it to her agent, um, who's also a dear friend for you know over 20 years. Amy, Amy Rennert, right? Amy Rennert. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, Amy Rosenthal knew that she wanted this piece to appear in the modern love column. Right. And, you know, living with a writer and you're, you're a creative guy, you know, that sometimes even no matter how successful you are, there may be some rejections here and there. Of and course. So, I mean, my, my reaction was, first of all, this is so beautifully, beautifully, beautifully written and so unbelievable that you wanted to do this for me. Um, but I didn't know whether it was going to get published. And certainly, of course, I had no idea about the actual, you know, uh, reception that did she ask you if you were okay with it being published or no or she just said i'm doing this i mean she yeah sort of i i yeah she said how do you what do you think about it i was like great of course i want you to of course right. i want this to be yeah. seen you know but i again out of a little bit of ignorance maybe because i had you know i wasn't to be honest with you uh much of a modern love guy i didn't that's not where right. i would first no, go to sure. new york times on sunday so <laughs> and so when what is it? So, so, so you're dealing with so many things. You're dealing with the, the, the impending death of the person you love most. And then this, this column comes out and what does it feel like? And, and how does it, how does it turn things upside down even more? If it did, how does it affect you? Well, yeah. Um, so as you pointed out, 10 days later, Amy died. And so obviously I was, way deep down in the depths of grief and uh, pain and trying to hold together things for, for my children and the family. And of course, making plans and things like that, that you have to do. Um, and so it took me quite a while to really appreciate the response that that piece got. Um, immediately, I started getting flooded with letters and trinkets and artwork and messages of goodwill and you know, woo-woo recommendations about this doctor or that doctor that could right. save Amy's life and things like that. So I kept all of that, but I just sort of set it aside for so long because I just, I couldn't process it at the time. I do remember one, one thing that I was, you know, went to the Starbucks on the corner and went to go get a coffee and, and there was Amy on the front page of the Chicago Tribune, oh, you know, and I don't know, for some reason, I was like, to the barista, I was like, hey, man, th th this is my wife. This is my wife, you know, wow. kind of excited in a way, you know, saying that, that she was getting this attention. Um, and the guy was like, oh, great. Did you get did you get free coffee or no? <laughs> no, nothing, nothing. But uh, were, Jason, were you prepared to be a public figure at that time? Um, 100% no. <laughs> you know, if you were to Google Jason B. Rosenthal before all this happened, you may have gotten my office address downtown, but you know, I wasn't in, into social media. I didn't have a Facebook page. I don't, I still don't. And I, you know, wasn't doing anything publicly. So no, I was a really introverted. In, I was of the two of us, definitely the introvert. And, and even though I imagine like the people in your lives, like that your kids went to school with the name, you know, you were obviously a well, a known person successful in your life and, you know, your friends and all that stuff. But suddenly it's this incredibly intimate look 
into you that kind of everybody has, right? Yes. Yes. And most of that, though, at the time was, was even though the focus of the piece, of course, was me, the, all of that attention was really directed at Amy in a way. Um, and so I was right. able to talk about, you, you know, a little bit about our life together in our family and things like that. It wasn't really until I wrote this book that I decided to open up a bit myself personally. Well, how did you make that decision? Uh, you know, how did you... How did you, or, or another way to say this, what do you think the actionable steps you took were? There are a lot of actionable steps in the book about how to set your life up with your spouse to make it work, which are valuable. But, the, but And then, then there's this other really valuable stuff about how, how to intentionally, at a certain point, try to move on. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, like I alluded to a little bit earlier, there's two things that can happen. One is you can just, you know, sulk and go into that, that really deep grieving, maybe go to the bar every day and get knee deep into a bottle of whiskey kind of a thing, you know. And believe me, I thought about that. Um, but, but the other option is to uh, attempt to step out, you know, and that's what I had to do. That's, that, that is what I did. I didn't have to, but that's what I chose to do. I should say that's a better way of putting it. And one of the things that helped me with that is that I was asked to give that TED Talk in April of 2018. And the reason I agreed to do that, this is sort of a long-winded answer to your question, but the reason I chose to do that is because at the beginning, right after Amy died, I was inundated with, you know, press and journalists and, you know, are you married yet? You know, <laughs> two weeks after Amy died kind of a thing. And I, I really had no interest, of course, in, 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 uh, in responding to any of that. So I, I didn't. Um, but when I was asked to give the TED Talk, I said, all right, listen, this is an op opportunity for me to tell a story that I think is really important, uh, part of which is what it's like to be with someone uh, that you love that's close to you at the end of their life, you know, a topic that we don't talk about much in this country. And the other is to talk a little bit about what it's like to move on and to find some resilience. And it was from that talk that I was almost immediately, you know, even that afternoon, um, inundated with people who related to my story. And so many people have a story of loss, Brian, that they don't talk about because no one really says it's okay. And as I began to speak publicly over the next three years, those are the stories that that really gave me meaning because, you know, I was making an impact in people's lives. Um, and so that's how I was able to really get through is to be open and to share, share my story. And were you at all worried about how moving on about, well, a couple of things, holding on to what you and Amy had as you incorporated into going forward. And then, your children's perception of you as you would go off to a concert with your buddies. And because some people would feel, gosh, I don't want it to seem like I don't care. And your kids, obviously it's clear in the book, were quite encouraging of it, but I'm just wondering what your inner, your conversation with yourself was about that stuff. Well, there's two things in that. I think that I I'd like to respond to the first is like, what, what yes. was it like, what's been like to, continue to talk about my world with Amy and my life with Amy, you know, because yes. even people close to me and my own family say, are you sure that you want to keep doing this? Isn't that like just, you know, living right. past? Um, and the answer to me is really, really clear. And they've accepted this from me, but it's, it's the answer is no, it, it feels really good and, and, a, and a hugely important part of my grieving process. And also, Brian, as you know, it's, it's, it's nice to talk about Amy. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to yes. include her in my life in this way and be able to smile and you and I laugh about a story because that yes. was not always the way early on. I couldn't find, I couldn't see through the, the last moments of her life where she was of course. You know, physically of course. disappearing and, and emotionally and mentally disappearing. Those images were really locked in. But, but now it's been, it's been just 
really uh, a pleasure to talk about and and meaningful to me. So, and then you know, I think what you're talking about is what was it like for me to experience joy when maybe I should be still grieving that kind of yeah. a thing. And that's something, yep. and that's something that I think people really, really struggle with. Um, I was fortunate early on to have some people uh, come into my life who gave me some good advice, which is that, you know, hang in there. Grief is a heavy thing, uh, but you're going to find joy. I promise you. You know, and, and at first I was like, yeah, right. Well, that may happen for you, but it's not going to happen for me. Um, I, I don't see that happening. But it's true, you know, time does does unique things. And my children were, were fully supportive in these kind of crazy ideas I had about traveling and going to hear music and things that uh, I know would bring me some level of happiness. And did you feel, I mean, in the book, you talk about that you met a woman. And did you feel any trepidation, even though, even though Amy gave you the benediction, but did you feel any trepidation about giving someone else a hug or a kiss, just like any, any sort of like, what does this say about me as a human being? Or were you able, because we all are complicated and we all have lots of different thoughts at the same time. And I'm just wondering how you made the decision. No, I have to live. I mean, yeah, for sure. Of course I was, I was most definitely like I talk a little bit about in the book, you know, when I, even if I was to look at another woman or, or or start to, well, that's a great part of the book when you're like, was that person flirting with me? But then (laughs) when you, I love that part of the book where you're like, wait, I think they were, but what do I do for sure? But you know what I'm saying? Like there's a moment where you then had to decide you were going to cross a threshold. I'm not talking about sex. Even I'm saying like, you were going to have to talk a threshold across a threshold and kind of give a little piece of yourself to somebody. And I'm just wondering what that internally was like. Really challenging, man. You know, it's definitely challenging. And that's why I wanted to, to speak a little bit about it. But it's really, really hard. And, um, you know, I'm with someone who's wonderful right now. And we talk openly about a lot of things. But even with me talking to you about it right now, I, it's one of the areas that's still a little difficult. I'm just going to be completely honest with you because, you know, I mean, whatever people's perception is, it, it, it hasn't been all that long. You know, three years is a long time in a person's life, but um, it's, it's difficult. You know, I talk to my kids about it and they continue, Brian, to teach me, you know, um, and just the other day I was talking a little bit about this, this topic. And my son said to me, well, work it out on us. Talk to us about it. I was like, that is so brilliant. It's amazing. Yes. Well, yeah, because of course they want you because you're so respectful to Amy's legacy. Of course, they're going to want you to find some, find some joy. So what do you finally, just because if someone's listening to this, going through what you're going through, right? What do you finally say to, to allow yourself, right? Because I, I understand all the trepidation, but how, what what is the self talk to say? Okay, yes, you're, you're all these legitimate feelings you have, but it's okay. How did you convince yourself that it's okay? Well, like you mentioned, first of all, I did get very, very express and public permission to move on, not just yes. in finding a new partner and, and love, but uh, I took it to mean, you know, to, I used it as a metaphor that what Amy left me that blank space. Uh, to continue to fill in my life. But what I would say is that, you know, take baby steps and challenge yourself and do things that potentially, you you know, are a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I, I went to a couple of concerts by myself, for example. I, you know, did yes. things on my own to discover who I was again. You know, that's so, it's it's really daunting. You know, I was almost 30 years, let's call it, with with one person and was so closely identified with that one person, it's hard to, it's hard to find your voice again. Um, but it's really, really important. And for me, I mean, I'm not young, but I'm, I'm not old either, <laughs> you know, and I realize that if I'm going to, if I'm going to have this next chapter in my life, um, which I hope to have a lot of time to do, then I have to start really appreciating those, those simple moments in life, you know, that, uh, that get you through each day. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. Well, that's a perfect place to, to end, I think. Um, Jason, it's a really wonderful book, man. And as I said at the beginning of this, super brave thing for you to do. I'm, I'm so glad that Amy and you had this time together. I wish you would have had more time. 
she was a truly remarkable person with a, a gigantic heart. And um, I, uh, I feel honored to have the, the conversation with you, man. Brian, thanks so much. And listen, I'm going to take you up on that. When I, when I come to New York next time, things are going to open up and let's get together. Oh, yeah, for sure. I will say I loved getting your when I got your note, whenever it was a year ago after Getty Lee, because I wrote you, I'll say, yeah, I, I wrote you a note, you know, in the week after Amy died, of course. And and um, and I, I just wrote it, assuming I wouldn't hear back. And I, I knew and it was I, but then you you I got it was funny, you know, you sent that beautiful blank page out and I couldn't fill it out. For some reason, I was like. Who and I've really appreciated that Paris came to see me too. You know, it's funny. I'll just say this: like, what, what great thing about your family's terrific. And and uh, when uh, you sent this this blank piece of paper to people to say, write down your memories of Amy, and I felt like eh, I don't really want to send in for the family to read like my freshman year boyfriend girlfriend <laughs> stuff. It didn't yeah. really seem like what anyone needed, but I appreciated being included. Uh, and then, though, it was nice, you know, this year when your daughter came to see me and she was like, can you tell me about my mom? I thought that was like a really, can you tell me about my mom at this period of, of her life? And I thought that was really great. And I was really glad to have the opportunity to talk about how great she was um, oh, and nice. tell Paris that she was just as great back then as she was for all your lives. So yeah. thanks for including me in that way in this. And um, yeah, by the way, I think for you and I could have an entire uh, podcast talking about music, which maybe we'll do over dinner one night. So, well, that's the <laughs> dinner is the music thing because yeah, the book's peppered with concerts and um, I've never gone to read. Like I, the, I don't go on those trips that you go on to see because uh, somehow, you know, I guess cause such so much comes through New York as it does Chicago. I just don't tend to do that, but maybe we'll do it sometime. Um, all right, everybody, listen, Jason is what social media are you on? Are you on Instagram? Instagram at Jason B. Rosenthal. Yes. So, and people can find the book. It's, uh, available and it's worth reading. My wife said you may want to marry me, Jason Rosenthal. Thanks a lot. Everybody else. You can find me at Brian Koppelman on, uh, Twitter, or on Instagram, you can write me the moment, bk at gmail.com, and I'll see you next time.